Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the show that I think that if, if we were honest, people thought had been canceled. That is not true. It has just really slowed down. So welcome back to the show. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am still Seth. I am also uh, sorry that it has been so long that we have had an episode. However, there will be a different post for that. I am going to record a video for the patrons once I figure out what shirt my wife would have me want to put on the internet. Uh, And then after that, I will also put the audio for that here as a little separate, you know, one to four minute episode to kind of give updates on the show, timelines, frequencies, etc. But that is not today. So I have found time this year to record an episode with Carl and Laura Forehand on some of their work that they are doing. And I would say, man, I enjoyed this. I, I just genuinely enjoy Carl and Laura. I like what they do what they stand for, and more importantly, the grace and compassion that they give to so many people as they're out and about struggling or dealing with life and faith and religion and the divine. And it's a lot, right? It's a lot for everyone. So we've waited long enough. We've waited months, haven't we? Let's just get right into the show with Carl and Laura Forehand. Here we go. All right. So Carl and Laura Forehand, welcome to the show. I think it took two and a half years to plan this episode. And so let me apologize. Um, I I had a new job at work and it's made recording the podcast exceptionally difficult because I work, I don't know, 75, 80 hours a week now. We just kept writing books. So (laughs) since you wouldn't pay attention to us, we just kept writing. I'm going to write until they let me go. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So it's been years since I had... you on Carl, and I think Laura, this is your first time being on, correct? Yeah, I think so. That's right. Yeah. So. Well, welcome to the game. If you, you were to like surmise who and what Laura and Carl, uh, who and what Laura and Carl forehand are, what is that? Yeah, I'd say it's it's kind of it's kind of complicated at this point, but we we're in ministry for twenty years. Um, I've been I was always kind of a technical person, a programmer, and things like that. Till I got in the ministry and was there for 20 years and then kind of began to deconstruct my faith, fought through religion, and we have kind of stepped outside of religion now. Um, and that's kind of who we are. We're parents and grandparents now. And I think another real important feature is that I went, I had a stroke in January, and so that's deeply impacted our lives um, and other challenges, but mm-hmm. Laura can tell you who she is. Uh, I feel like probably I'm like a lot of people that are going through deconstruction. And I mean, there's things that make us who we are that are unique, but definitely um, we have a lot of the same, you know, challenges. I think that's important to say because when, when I first started my deconstruction journey, if you will, it's very lonely. I felt very isolated. And so I guess it feels good to me to let others know that there are lots of people 
out there that are deconstructing or reexamining their faith. Um, so yeah, I think we have things that make us really unique, but I f- also feel like we're very relatable as well. Yeah. Um, Carl, how has that been? You don't have to go into detail. Um, but how has that been recovery? Cause I know that's a big, it's a big deal. Um, having a, you know, having any kind of medical thing, but how has that been for, for both you, Carl, as well as you, Laura, like that's a big, it's a big deal. So how, how are yeah. you with that? It was interesting that I, I knew that my genes were working against me. Um, so we became vegan and did a lot mm-hmm. of things to try to combat that. I was fairly healthy and started working on an assembly line. And um, I don't know if I just had too much stress, too much in my life, but had the stroke. And I remember being in the emergency room, looking at Laura and saying, for whatever reason, we had the resolve to say, we're going to do this. I mean, we don't have any other choice. We're going to do it. But at the same time, I looked at her and said, I'm just sad. Um, because I didn't want this, you know, I didn't choose it. Um, and I certainly tried to avoid it. Um, but it was a reality that we had to face. And then even though I think we had done some growth through our deconstruction that prepared us for it. Um, but there was more to come during the recovery as, as it became challenging and, with a stroke, things change little by little uh, every month, not every day. And the progress is slow. Uh, it takes a long time. And you start from really not being able to do anything. And uh, now I can do more, but I'm still quite limited. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's been a uh, – I hate to just say it's been a growing process because I don't want to diminish you know, how hard Laura's work to support me. Mm-hmm. and how hard I've worked at my recovery too. So, And I think you, when you have a stroke, you know, you see the physical limitations, you see all the physical aspects of it, right? But you don't see the emotional and mental aspects of it. And I would say for me, that's been the hardest part because, you know, when he gets frustrated, you know, like you said, we've done, we did a lot of, a lot of healing in our deconstruction, a lot of growth, I would say, but it's interesting how kind of those things that were an issue in deconstruction that you think you've worked through mm-hmm. rear their ugly head, you know, when know you go way. through something like this. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, the emotional, the psychological, the mental aspect of this journey has been probably the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. So how has, and this isn't what the book is about. We'll get into the book um, eventually. Uh, so what would you say has been the impact? Of, so so medical issues, regardless of, I think, the issue um, mm-hmm. are one of those things that really impact people's ability to see, hear, want to hear, listen for, ignore, whatever adjective or adverb, or I'm not the best at English, whatever word you want to put there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh a, a relationship with God. And so you'll see, like, I know with what my wife does as well at work, like you'll see, um, you know, family's faith change through medical adversity. And so as y'all have kind of navigated that and, and, you know, we're years out from, from writing this book um, or not years out, but you, you know, you've got this community. How has your faith's um, 
been impacted? Um, you know, where, where kind of where you were at the beginning when you said, you know, you were doing a lot of things, Carl, you're working, you're doing this, Laura, you're, you're doing all these other things and you've had to like pare things down because you got to make room for things. How has your faith changed? How, how is it different today than it was before the stroke? I think, you know, over the past seven or eight years, it's just kind of been constantly evolving. But what what the stroke does, I think anybody, I mean, most of my rehab people and so on said I did excellent, you know, that I did. I was an overachiever and I, mm-hmm. I'm always kind of like that. But still, 11, 11 and a half months later, um, I still, I get up in the morning um get something quick to eat and then I go to the gym do like an hour workout and then I come back home and I have to go back in the middle of the day I have to go back to sleep I have to rest Mm. again just from doing that so I'm saying that to say it slowed me down and you know we can talk about uh quiet time prayer life meditation things like that but you you really have to become comfortable with solitude and and moving at a much slower pace and and realizing that's still okay mm. you know the the frustration comes in the kitchen when you're trying to make lunch and nothing's working right and you keep dropping things on the floor and um but also with you, you just can't move as fast you can't get to where you want to go or you can't accomplish what and and that's when, you know, I think that's when you find that deep, true spirituality, you know, that that we've kind of always been longing for, but we never could slow down enough mm. to experience. And so, so you know, call that a quote unquote blessing or whatever, but it's um, definitely been been fruitful for me. Mm. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, diving into the book a bit. So at, at the beginning of the book, I forget where, and I don't have page numbers cause I read everything on the Kindle. And so it just says percentages. So it's like 30% in or something <laughs> like 30%. that, um, <laughs> whatever that is you talk about, or, or one of you talks about, so are these words, are they just yours, Carl's, or is it a joint venue? Like is it a joint effort where, where Laura, you're coming in and you're like, yeah, don't say that, say this instead. So where are we at? Like, as it, <laughs> as it relates to authorship, cause I know how it is when I write things and my wife will read it and be like, no, we're just going to control a. You're going to hit the delete button. We're not going to say that. I like where you're going, but don't say that. You can't say that. Um, so how much of these words are yours, Laura? Um, I, my part is definitely 100% my part. The only thing I would like caution Carl about is like if he were to mention one of our grandchildren, like mm. I, I feel like we have to have some respect there. And, you know, even though there are grandkids, um, I think we need to definitely ask permission before mm-hmm. we share their story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that would be the only thing I think I might've edited. Yeah. Um, although I speak a lot about our, our grandchildren, yeah. um, but that's after, you know, making sure that was okay to share yeah. those aspects of their story. Yeah. It's and always fun to ask. Cause I know how much I get edited or filtered um, right. on right. a daily basis. So y'all talk at the beginning about the the need for church to be honest 
um, and I forget the exact quote, but you're talking about, you know, we really need to be honest about just the community. We need to just, the church has to be honest if there's ever going to be anything after it, um, to kind of summarize that. And it's in the very first chapter, I believe. It's not, if it's not in the first chapter, it's in the second chapter. Um, what does the church need to be honest about? Well, the first chapter is about evangelism. And I always, I had a habit of walking, um, you know, saying from the pulpit when I was a preacher, uh, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And by that, I meant evangelism. Um, that was one of our five purposes of the church. Uh, and the problem is not with evangelism. The problem, because uh, making, go and make disciples. So making disciples is making learners. It's, I, I know something, I want you to know it also. And I want you to benefit from it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that aspect of Christianity that says we found something that's helpful and we want you to know about it. The trouble, as I mentioned in the book, is what it becomes. And, and many times the church becomes like a multi-level marketing group and everyone in the church is postured towards new members or potential members. They're postured towards the front door. The big church that we attended, the very last church we attended, um, it was real obvious because there was a front and back door, and you could see see one from the other, kind of narrow in the middle, wide on the ends, you know. And so there'd be a place for you to come in. But everyone in the church, the greeters, the pastor, the pastor's wife, the, the uh, staff, staff members, staff yeah. members were all postured towards those new members. And this 1,500-member church, the pastor, visited our house, which is an hour away. Um, he went to lunch with me twice while we were new members. Um, but literally, the people come to the church wounded, and we, we say we want to help them, and we intend to help them. But they very well could be hobbling out the back door while we're postured towards those new members. Mm. So... The the trouble is the organization never has time to slow down <clears throat> and make an assessment of are the lost sheep really here in the congregation and we're mm. not helping them. We're you know the organization can't slow down and the organization always comes first and it's got to keep it's got to keep moving. Um, so I think that you know that was one of the things that kind of stuck out to us. There's about 10 chapters in the beginning that address different issues like that. Yeah. Yeah. Laura, for you, what do you feel like the church has to be honest about? Yeah. That, that last part that Carl was talking about is definitely the thing that sticks out to me that there, there is real hurt in the church. And um, I think it's just so easy as an organization to bypass it rather than address it. And you know, if you think about these huge churches, like the one, the last one we attended, I mean, it, it's kind of like I say in my classroom, you know, there's, there's 24 of you and one of me, you know, so I can't, you know, there, there's gotta be some, you know, I have to push some of that responsibility onto them. Um, but I also make sure that I know my students. So when there's some real trauma there, I can, you know, spend some one-on-one -on -one time with them or get them to the counselor or whatever that may be. And I feel like that aspect may be lost in, mm -hmm. especially 
especially some of these really big churches, but even in the smaller churches that we pastored, I mean, it's kind of like people come in and they go through the motions of church and then they walk out and we really don't have any idea um, of what they're truly going through. Yeah. You're going to say we something? Have this, we have this um, kind of, you know, we've been in some contemplative groups and contemplative prayer and things like that. And I spent some time with some Benedictine sisters that helped me heal and so we want we had kind of had a desire to keep doing something after we we kind of stepped out of the pulpit and so on. So we would try to lead these contemplative prayer groups or contemplative groups where you do meditation and share. And when people would share, um, the people that there were Christians and probably especially evangelical Christians had a really tough time um, just listening to people. Um, this, these sisters taught me was was that deep evocative listening, and we 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 just seemed to have a problem. And I I'm afflicted with it myself, and it, it took a long time to kind of program it out of me. But people share something deep and hurtful. Um, they're 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 in pain, and our immediate thing because it makes us uncomfortable is is to try to fix that for them. <laughs> Or to try to excuse, you know, we we have these built-in excuses or some, and then because we just want to get on down the road, we want to finish the Bible study, or we want to finish the small group, or whatever. But when I would when I would have these sessions with these sisters, and I'm not Catholic at all, but these these ladies helped me immensely. But they would say, you know, Carl, what do you feel? Where are you feeling that? And I wasn't used to even talking about how I felt, but I would say, I would tell them how I felt and they would say, where do you feel it? And then they would just go, so a part of you feels this. And then they would just be quiet. And then I eventually I'd kind of connect dots and, and, and start to address what was really in there, what was really hurting <clears throat> And sometimes they just kind of groan. They just kind of go, hmm, hmm, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was foreign to me. But that's, you know, that's what brought deep healing. That was the deep shadow work that they taught me to do that eventually I could do that on my own. And um, they they called themselves companions, um, not not healers. Yeah. Um, so they just kind of walk with you and be present with you. Um, on that healing journey. And I, I think that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. So you said the word contemplative prayer, which leads me to a question that I've been looking forward to asking you, Laura. So later on in the chapters in the book, it's like, I don't know, let me look at the thing. 62% in 60, whatever chapter that is. Um, you, you're going to find that I skip around all over the place. Um, uh, I feel like it was, I don't know, first or second year of the, um, of the podcast, I had asked Barbara Brown Taylor a question and she's like, you seem to be unediting my book. She called me, it's a word that I can't remember, but she's like, you keep putting together sentences that were together that the editor was like, I'm gonna need you to rip that apart and break it into two different chapters if you could. She's like, you have a knack for putting things back together. Not that that's this, but what you said, Carl, leads perfectly into it. So I'm just gonna read your words, Laura, to okay. you, because that feels fun. Um, okay. It says, I remember when Carl asked me the question, what are your practices? And it was while we were doing a podcast together on the desert sanctuary. And I'll, I'll ad lib a bit here, but you basically said, I don't, I don't have any practices now that we don't go to church. 
Um, but what Carl just described, those are practices. And so can you rip apart like religious practices, how that works for you while you're out in the desert, um, mm -hmm. metaphorical desert? And I do want to rip apart that a bit as well, um, because the themes of caravans, oasises, water, um, solitude, sand hitting my face because I grew up in the desert, like all of that matters to me religiously in, in a weird way. Um, but I'm more so want to lean into practices right now because Carl just described a practice, but what does that look like for you now? Yeah. So probably when we wrote the book or definitely when I first, you know, stepped out of organized religion, um, I really felt like there were no practices, you know, prayer, going to church, Bible studies, those were the practices, right? So I really felt like I didn't have any practices, but I, I definitely do have practices. Um, mine are just more like going inside, sitting in nature, um, you know, just trying to like right now we're kind of working on a project and just really uh, trying to figure out where I stand on, on things. And, and that creates a lot of, um, anxiety for me, but it's, it's been good because I don't think that, um, even when we were writing this book that I, I felt like writing the, you know, out into the desert book was very healing. Um, it let me talk about things that I couldn't really, um, talk about while we were in inside the church, but now, you know, I'm having to really go, okay, you know, what do you believe? How do you see this? Um, so a lot of that, and, and I know this sounds kind of strange maybe, but even just like spending time, um, holding my grandson or playing with my granddaughters, things like that, those are very, um, those give me so much joy. <laughs> I, I really can't explain it. I mean, I tried to explain um, the whole when Holland was born in in our book, but there is just some sort of really deep connection that I have. And so like anytime I can just spend time um, with the people that I love, have some really meaningful conversations. Now with my grandchildren, you know, they're young enough. I can't really have those meaningful conversations, but just, you know, just watching them play or um, seeing them use their imagination. Um, but, you know, Carl and I have ha been able to have some really rich conversations, um, especially lately with this new project. But um, yeah, I would say those are more my practices now, really just be either being with myself and figuring out what I think, what I believe, or, you know, really being present with other people. Um and, and that was something as a pastor's wife, I was there, but I, I wouldn't say that I was really present with them. And that kind of goes back to that, um, that whole listening, sitting there and really listening to people and not trying to fix them. Um, yeah. So I would say those are more my practices these days, but I feel like I'm always evolving, which is a word that you use. I mean, I feel like where I was two years ago when we read this, or excuse me, when we wrote this book, um, isn't where I am right now necessarily. I still agree with what we wrote, but I feel like I've grown since then. And I kind of see myself as always growing, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to juxtapose the, 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 how do I want to say this? What is the difference between wilderness and desert? 
um, specifically as sanctuary. Because I think for a lot of people, they hear desert and they think wilderness, like there's just nothing out there. For me, I hear wilderness and I think about the mountains. But mm -hmm. why do y'all continue to circle back into the desert? Like everything, a lot of the work that you do has that at its theme. And so can you rip apart maybe the differences between, in your mind, you know, what the desert is versus maybe what wilderness is and the purpose of that as we try to refine community? Yeah, we hardly ever use the word wilderness, but I know a lot of I people. do, though. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, yeah. and if people like people, that helps explain, that's good. But on um, in the in the podcast intro, we kind of explain that and it's on the back of one of the books. Um, and it talks about how when we began to question things, when we began to, you know, we change our views a little bit, it seems like or it feels like we're wandering out into the desert. Uh, so many people, though, talk about in the writing and so on, talk about how surprised they were by the life in the desert. By, and, and so many of the prophets, the, the desert mothers and fathers, so many of the prophets and poets um, went there. They went to a place that that helped them be still, um, but in the end, they found found life there. And the you know the the goal is not to to make an idol out of the desert. You know, it's it's just a metaphor because so much of the journey of deconstruction feels like that. Um, when you begin to say, um, well it looks like I'm going to have to stop being a pastor or it, it looks like the best thing for us right now is to step away from organized religion because we're getting in fights every time we go home. Um, when you take that step, um, you know, like we talk about in deconstruction, you, you're like, well, wait a minute now, now who am I? What do I believe? Um, where am I going? Uh, and all those questions, it just it just feels that way. It's it's overwhelming. There's a PTSD kind of element to it. Mm. Of I've been hurt by people, and how do I fix this? How do I? And so <clears throat> we we just use it a lot because people feel that way so often during different stages of deconstruction, evolution, um, growing, healing, all the you know the different things you go through that so often you'll feel um, that sense of, wait a minute, what if nothing's here? You know, mm -hmm. what if this is wilderness? You know, what if it's nothingness? Um, a lot of a lot of philosophers worry about nihilism, um, kind of that, I don't believe anything, I don't think any, you know, I don't care mm -hmm. type of thing. And we worry about things like that. And, and immediately we worry about going to hell or, dropping off into the abyss yeah you know and so it's it's just kind of a natural part of that fear that has so often for people turned into a beautiful thing when you're there does that make sense at all it does yeah it does for you laura what does what does the desert like kind of symbolize yeah so definitely when i walked away from organized religion i you know i spoke of this earlier i felt very um, very alone, very isolated. Like there was, I mean, I really did picture kind of like this barren desert wasteland. There was like nothing and nobody. Um, it just felt very alone, which is 
kind of funny in a way because I felt that way a lot in ministry, right? I just, as a pastor's wife, I felt that way a lot. Um, But at least there were other people around me, right? And when I went to church, but when I, you know, stepped away, I just, I didn't feel that. I think the thing for me about the desert, like when we, when I think about the wilderness and I may have this totally wrong, but when I think about the wilderness, I do think about like there being um, at least plant life around right there. I feel like, like I'm picturing right now, you know, hiking in Colorado where there's lots of trees and things like that. Um, there's not a lot of people around, but there's a lot of, there still is a lot of life around, um, Mm. around me, but in the desert, um, to find that I had to be really intentional, right? You're just not going to, I mean, if you think about a vast desert, you know, you have to be really intentional to find that cactus flower or, you know, um, some type of life that crosses your path. And so I feel like for me that the desert has made me much more intentional because it is kind of hard to find at first it was anyway, now that we're, we've been, you know, quote unquote out here in the desert for some time, you know, we are finding that there is, um, beautiful life out here, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in other people and, um, you know, and they're, they are able to give us, life and we're able hopefully to give them some life as well yeah yeah see for for me the desert um not that it's a good or bad metaphor but the desert to me um growing up where i grew up so i don't know if y'all know where i grew up or not but i grew up in the middle of western texas like almost below new mexico where i think we average six and a half inches of rain a year and so it is legitimately a desert and i mean that as a like in that six and a half inches that's on four different days and it is coming down like we are flash flooding um it's like I can remember going to college and I left my truck at home and if if it wasn't rotated the sand just the sand in the air that you can't see you can't really feel it would get rid of the clear coat partially on one side so you could see when the light would hit it it would be dull on one side so you had to intentionally rotate your cars or it would dull if it just sat there it would just dull now if you're driving it around obviously you don't have to do that because you're constantly hitting it in different ways um, but there is beauty in life in the desert, but I think that your words, Laura, about you had to be really intentional. Um, mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, I always prefer the, the wilderness though. I think to your point of there are things out here and I can mm-hmm. sit on a tree stump and this is cool. Um, or sit in some shade yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, um, and whatnot as you've been. Uh, so you said the word nihilism, Carl, which makes me think of one of my favorite Twitter accounts, which for this year still exists. We'll see if Twitter's a thing next year. Have you ever <laughs> followed this has nothing to do with your book, but that word always makes me smile. Uh, and it shouldn't because it's a really nihilism is not a good thing um, or possibly not a good thing. Have you heard of the account nihilist Arby's? No. So it's I'll read you a few of them. They make me laugh. So here we go. This Thanksgiving, it's time to pretend that being trapped in this nightmare prison of sentience, toil, pain and fear is something to celebrate. Be thankful that this life is short and that eternal black nothingness comes soon for us all. For until then, we are but slaves. Eat at Arby's. Everything is, it, it's always enjoy Arby's. Eat at Arby's. Everything is always, um, it's just, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it is one of those days, it, it, they don't tweet often, but when they, it's like once a month, but when they do, you're like, that's funny. Like, I, I don't know why that's funny. It shouldn't be funny. I think the part that makes it funny is the, so eat at Arby's. Just, yeah. This, this podcast brought to you by Arby's. Why not? Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, 
I know that you've created some small groups of community. And so I do want to uh, kind of delve into what the church looks like going forward as it relates to community, because I don't think that church is going to look the same that it does today. And let's, let's say 50 years, it'll be faster than that, but I would rather just not. Yeah. So let's just say by the time I'm dead, it won't look the same. There we go. 50 years. Um, that, that, that story feels like it checks out. <laughs> and so you created a bunch of communities and there's some small communities around this podcast as well, um, of, of a tight knit group of, of people that have a safe place to come and say what needs to be said, get it off their chest, or just a place for people to listen to them and they don't get judged because when people judge them, I kick them out of the community. Um, I, I've intentionally kind of gated it that way. Um, cause I want it to be a safe place. And so kind of my question is, what is the purpose of community? And then I'm curious as you've delved into talking with so many people, intentionally creating a space for people to be heard, how have communities of a faith that is not what we came from, how have they contributed or found a home in some of the desert sanctuaries that you've, that you've helped foster? So thinking about people from other faiths, if that has happened or not. Yeah, so community is probably the one, one thing that people go back to. And if I could just back up a little bit and say, say this, that, you know, when, when people say, well, you're not a part of organized religion now, so where do you get community? And I say, I get community everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that I have a family, we have families, we have workplaces, um, we have people online, the podcast interviews we do. I don't know if you found this over the years, when you interview somebody for a podcast and listen to them for 45 minutes to an hour, you become very close. It, it, it's an intimacy there. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're doing it right, if you're paying attention. Yeah. 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 So there's a group of um, those types of people and so on, but, but people sit, people assume that organized religion is community. And I, I just want to suggest that or ask people to evaluate that. Uh, evaluate that closely or is it really community we talk about it like it's a family but sometimes sometimes not always sometimes it's a common enemy intimacy where we all hate Mm. the same people or Mm. (laughs) even if it's the devil you know we're all against the same thing Um, but also sometimes there's not real intimacy because we come and listen to a to a lecture we watch a mini concert we go home you know, we might have a small group and so on, but do we really get that intimacy where, like I was talking about before, where we can heal? So I have some community with those Benedictine sisters still. Um, I talked to uh, Sister Marcia the other day. Uh, she got attacked by a dog. And so we were, we were talking about that and talking about having her on the podcast. Um, to me, you know, that is... Um, that's where I find my, I find my, you realize two things. Number one, that spirituality kind of becomes real simple, but often a lot deeper. Um, but also that community um, is not in one place. Uh, it doesn't happen at a certain time of week. And it doesn't, you know, Jesus kind of alluded to that, that we wouldn't go to a place um, so it's not in one place. It's not at a specific time, and it's not with just one group mm-hmm. of people. That's oddly enough, really like us. So my pet peeve in that area is trunk or treat, and I don't know if you do that or not, but 
um, trunk or treat. Takes, we do. Uh, we participated a few weeks ago, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Out of so, laziness. It's just so freaking convenient. I can show yeah. up. We're done in 40 minutes. I can go home. Right. <laughs> Trunker, here's the deal with Trunk or Treat. Trunk or Treat takes, we're really introverted. So the community we live in, we're kind of, we we don't talk to our neighbors more than we have to. But <laughs> more than we have to. True, what's the true. acceptable, not to cut you off, what's the acceptable amount of talking to the neighbors? Like what? I, oh boy. Oh man. Like in a month, an we hour total in the month. We shouldn't answer that question because we're both introverted. We like people be living on the hill. Just don't like being around them all the time. <laughs> anyway, let me get you back. Let me get you back to trunk or treat. It just makes so, you laugh. Trunk or treat takes you out of your community, out of your real community, and you know takes you to your faux community, where everybody's really a lot like you. Um, you know, you've mm -hmm. kind of chosen that. We all believe the same. We, we end up kind of looking the same. We're, we're the same. You know, there's not a lot of diversity in our worship services and so on. So instead of, you know, building community in your community, it's, it's trying to it's trying to manufacture that. And it, I understand that's good intentions behind it, right? We want to provide a place and a safe place and things like that. And that's one thing we have to kind of watch in our Facebook communities and things like you mentioned before, uh, is that we're just not trying to manufacture something mm -hmm. that, it, it, you know, community is usually pretty organic if we are just open and, and look for openings, look for opportunities. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is Laura and Carl are against candy. No, right, completely wrong. Yeah, we're not <laughs> Um, Though uh, you didn't intend this, and I don't think that you've written this, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I do find it fun, though, that at Trunk or Treat, a lot of people come up to church and they're wearing masks. It's just one time out of the year we get rewarded with candy. And so that feels, that feels fun. Yeah, right? I get to wear my mask and uh get rewarded with candy so yeah. that is the um we'll call that my passive aggressive church dig for the and i'm aware that a lot of people in my church will listen to this and don't hear me saying i don't appreciate what they're doing i genuinely do appreciate being able to go to one place get all the candy and go home that is it could equally be the ymca or the kawan i don't really care um because our daycare will do one too i'll go to that one too we'll hit 20 trunks yeah. get more than enough candy let's rock and roll and let's go home because I I'm not an introvert, but I don't like to go places and meander unless it's a place like hiking or the wilderness or something where that's the intent is to go out and get lost. Right. Like when I'm in places like I hate shopping, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to look down aisle six. I just want the stuff to be where I need it to be. And I want to go home. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be bothered, um, yeah. which probably says a lot more about me. But I'm going to make that I'm going to make a trunk or treat shirt that says we wear masks every year. Every day, oh, 52 weeks out of the year, we wear a mask. One week, you get candy. Show up for Drunk yeah. or Treat. Yeah. I would buy that t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's too many words, but. There's a summary there that, that, that Drunk or Treat, you know, kind of plays on our consumerism. Yeah, it know, all does. It's a efficient way of getting candy. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder what Drunk or Treat looks like at like Joel Osteen's church. That could be fun, Drunk or Treat to go to. Speaking about consumerism.
This is the part of the show that there should be ads, right? Because we live in a capitalistic world and everything has to get paid for. But that's just not the way that I want to do it. So, if you feel led, support the show on Patreon. I do absolutely need you. But if you don't, I'm not going to put any ads here because I just don't feel like it. Hopefully you do, though. The amount that you support will not change the benefits that you get. And so, with that said, let's get back to the show. So I want to talk about a concept, not a concept. I want to talk about a topic that I just don't really like talking about, but I'm going to because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and that's probably a good place to be. So there is a, a section in here where y'all are talking about sex, purity, culture, et cetera. And, and then Laura, I'm going to come to you on this because I like what you have to say. I read what Carl said before you, but then you say, I definitely want to let Carl off the hook in this chapter. The whole concept of giving a purity ring to our daughters came from me. Mm-hmm. It's true. And then you go on about that. So can you kind of rip apart that chapter a bit? And say whatever you want to it because, um, and I'll be honest, I, I had two small girls and so I still struggle with that concept because part of me is like, I'm gonna let them do what they're gonna do. They're gonna be adults. They need to be safe about it. But also, stop, it's my kid. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? So there's a, a juxtaposition there that I'm still not comfortable with and I don't have to be comfortable with yet because they're seven and 10, but I'm gonna have to get comfortable real quick. Um, and so I'm just curious your thoughts, your insight, and more so I'd like to learn from your your wisdom of that because you've, you've done this before and, and why I'd be a fool to not ask. <laughs> well, I think everything about the purity culture for me and those purity rings was focused on fear. Okay. So it was, it was all about, it was very fear driven. Um, looking back now, I'm like, that's a purity ring on their finger is not going to keep them from doing whatever what they it is want they want to do. do really. Yeah. Um, but it gave me some sort of weird sense of peace. But I think when we do things like that, um, we let fear drive our parenting, then we miss real opportunities to sit down and discuss um, those types of things that are really hard, right? I mean, I don't remember my parents ever discussing sex with me. I mean, you, I just somehow knew that sex outside of marriage was wrong. And, you know, it was like a straight path to hell and, and, and all that, but we, and and that's kind of how we almost raised our kids. It's funny that you mentioned that because like things will pop up in my head and I'll like text my daughter and I'll just be like, wow, I'm really like, I just have to say, I'm sorry that, you know, that's how I parented. And she's always very gracious, but she did share with me that, you know, she and her husband, you know, they, they've had to do a lot of work around sex in their marriage because, because of the message, right. That we sent. And, and I love the way that they're now, you know, raising their children to just not see like their body as shameful and not see, um, you know, who they are as something you have to have to hide. 
the other side of that is they're not like, you know, go parade yourself however you want kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just having those conversations with them. And I feel like we really miss that opportunity because of the fear that was wrapped up in purity culture. And we somehow thought that if, you know, or I thought, because I I truly was the one who was like, we need to give our girl, you know, and the funny thing is like, we were all about giving our girls a ring, but did we ever talk to our son about any of that? No, like we literally like went with the whole narrative. Like it was their responsibility to make sure, you know, that the boys around them weren't tempted and then we did nothing yeah. or I didn't, I don't know if you did Carl, but we did nothing to educate our son. I mean, we had like, I had conversations with him in the car, you know, where he was like, can you please just let me out mom? Like, can we not talk about this? You know, but it was more about, you know, just treating a girl with respect and, but yeah, it, it was, it was so fear driven with me. And I think if we could, and Carl might might mention this later, but he talks about how, you know, rather than, you know, just, you know, hitting our kids with these things that are traumatizing, fear ridden, you know, how about if we just have conversations, let's communicate, let's talk about like, you know, sexual desire is normal. (laughs) Like it's normal. Like our kids should, that they're going to feel that. So let's open up some conversation. I don't think that means that you sit there and you go, yeah, do whatever you want, you know, be irresponsible. I mean, but we can't have those conversations about how to be responsible if we're not even going to bring it up and we're not, and we're just going to like go, okay, this purity ring right here, that's going to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. Like, no, (laughs) just don't do it. It, Yeah. Just don't do it. It's kind of like the whole, you know, drug Back in the, I don't even know. I'm so old, but dare I know dare I know dare drug assistance drug abuse resistance education. That's what it stands for. Yeah, but just to to tell our kids to just say no, because then I feel like when those hormones do kick in, and they're having all these feelings, or you know, some kids are just more um, curious than others. Um, If if we're not having these conversations with them. And trying to help them navigate through that, you know, I I think, I think, and I'm grateful that our children are all very gracious to me when I say, man, I really messed up here. But I I also do struggle with feeling like I miss so many opportunities Mm -hmm. to just have some really good conversations with them. The chapter is called, the chapter is called How Religion Ruins Sex. It's probably just a little provocative, of, you know, of a of a title, but I would say that that we didn't know how to do it because we had dysfunction when we came into the marriage. Um, purity culture twisted that up even more. Um, you think about purity culture was basically run by a a young adult guy named Josh, whatever. Josh yeah. Um. It was, it was a misguided mission, um, like Laura said, based on fear, and it, it just caused all kinds of havoc. We've we've been interviewing women um, for three months, and all of them talk about that. All yeah. of them mention that in some way or another, that it, it just jacked them up. And so Laura and I still, at 50-something, 
still have to deal with elements of that personally in our life, not just in our kids. And mm-hmm. like she said, they survived pretty well. They they got some good information somewhere. And and then we've worked with them since then too. But uh we still have issues, you know. And yeah. Well, because the, you know, the church culture laced with purity culture, however you want to look at that, you know, that we were a part of was just all about, you know, the woman is subject to the man and basically, you know, without being too graphic, you know, whenever he wants it Mm -hmm. as the wife, you don't say no, you know? Um, so basically it, it's, it's really easy, you know, even if I, could I go didn't in, demand that, even right, if I didn't demand, right. That. But I could go in so many directions. So you can see like how that would make, you know, women in certain denominations feel incredibly small. Their voices really don't matter. The fact that I'm just not in the mood is not a good enough reason yeah. because I should never deny. Yeah. And, and I'm not blaming you. It's just the culture that the church culture and then you know just laced with all the other things in there that that really made that a a big deal yes do you see the desert moving closer to organized religion today so thinking about them like if if you could separate the chasm that exists in between them because i think a lot of people when they check out of church they check out hard and then there's a huge gap there before they find better communities to be a part of or, or opening communities that they can be honest and be a part of and still continue to wrestle with, with some of life's most important questions and biggest questions. So do you feel as though deserts, not necessarily yours, but just that concept, are they migrating closer to religious organizations or are churches migrating closer to the desert or is there still a massive chasm in between them? And the reason I ask that is like, curious your relationship with past communities that have not come out with you um, to where you're at now. But do you also then just at a high level, do you see the two coming closer together or still standing very rigidly apart? Well, um, the organization as a whole is in decline. Um, One of the reasons is it's really hard when you're inside of an organization to number one, the best illustration I have is Rob Bell has an illustration of it's, it's called a fish standing on the beach. And so you get that picture of a fish standing on the beach and he talks a lot about the water we swim in. And when you're in the water, you can't really see the water, the conditioning we've had. And then if we're inside the organization, it's really hard um, to change from the inside. We we planted churches. That was our thing. We always thought we were planting something totally new, brand new. It's going to be different. And when we got it planted, it really wasn't that much different. And then over time, it would kind of morph back into whatever people that came influenced it mm-hmm. to morph back to whatever they came from. And so it has a real hard time changing from the inside. Um, so if it, if it changed, I, I just, I just think the, um, the organized, organized part of religion makes it so hard to be that authentic community. My statement I made not too long ago was maybe instead of listening to sermons, we should have been listening to each other. And so much of what Laura and I have been talking about today, kind of organically with you, 
uh, keeps coming back to we should have been having conversations. We should have mm-hmm. been listening to each other. And we try to do that in small groups, you know, but it, it's still part of the organization. The organization comes first. The organization takes priority. We spend 70% of the money on keeping the organization going. We spend all of our, our posture towards new members and so on. And it's just, it's really, really hard for it to change and morph from the inside. Um, maybe it needs needs to die in something I think something much simpler can be created um, with Zoom and the internet and all of these things we have. I mean, right now we're having a real good, we're having a good conversation. We're having good community, you know, sitting in our yeah. homes, right? And I think I think great things can be built out of that that type of thing. But it it just like we said before, the spirituality of all of this begins to be much simpler and. And much deeper, much simpler, uh, more straightforward, and it has to, has to do a lot with what we keep talking about, and that's listening to each other. Laura, anything to add? Take away? Change? Yeah, I definitely think we need to be having those conversations with each other. I think there also needs to be some real. I don't know how you do it, but there needs to be some real healing. I think people that are out in the in the desert, so to speak, the wilderness, however you want to look at that, you know, they're out there because they've experienced some, some real trauma Mm -hmm. inside of organized religion. Um, and, and I think, you know, if, if you were like at first glance, when you ask me that, I'm like, no way, there's not going to be any, you know, great bridge that's built between the two. But I do think that, um, I think there can be, I think we, like Carl said, we just have to be listening to, to each other. There's obviously going to be people in, in the desert that their heels are dug in They're They don't want anything to do with religion or church organization ever again. There's also, you know, people in the church that are like very, they have their heels dug in too. In the same vein, there's also people on both sides, I think, that can't that are that are speaking to each other. I think it's gonna take some time though. I mean, I, I really do think it's gonna take some time. But one thing I know that we need to start doing is is having conversation, but having really healthy conversation. Um, like I know a lot of times people come into our groups, kind of like what you were saying, Seth, but people will come into our group just to stir stuff up right yep. mm-hmm. and so and and i that could be said on both sides of the camp yeah. i mean there's always going to be people um so i think until we're ready to like really just go okay let's not only have good conversation but truly like listen to each other and not raise up these defense <laughs> mechanisms you know where we're just going to start attacking each other um it's going to be a slow process I, I probably two, three years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way to bridge this, but it, it's going to be a slow process. I do think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully there can be a bridge built. Yeah. My favorite question. Here we go. So y'all can answer in any particular order, um, but I'm looking forward to the answer. So when each of you try to wrap words around whatever it is that God is, the divine is, I don't really care what metaphor you want to use. What is that? 
I should ask you probably how much time you have. Like crickets. This really says there's three hours and 56 minutes left on this memory card. So let's, yeah. that's, that's what you got. <laughs> I've, I've tried to eat healthy. And so one of the things I did was um, grow sprouts. And I don't know if you've ever eaten sprouts, but um, they say a, a broccoli sprout has some nutrients in there like 50 times. They're, they're really, really concentrated in sprouts. So I wanted to grow sprouts. And really all you have to do to grow sprouts is put some seeds in water and they start growing. You know, you just keep them wet, even kind of keep them in the dark for a few days and then they start to become a little plant. They don't need soil uh, at this point, but they'll grow to where you can eat those. And they're really, that those nutrients are super, concentra super concentrated. So kind of what we were talking about before and, and kind of tying those two things together, that little tiny broccoli alfalfa, the kind I use is called broccoli and friends. So it has broccoli and radishes and alfalfa and clover in it. And those see in inside that seed is everything it takes to make a broccoli plant. It's going to pull in some nutrients from the soil. It's going to you know, do the thing with the sun but but all of the the intellect uh, to grow a broccoli plant is inside that tiny seed, and that just kind of blows our mind sometimes when we think about quantum physics and quantum mechanics and so on. We get down to the subatomic level, and even at the subatomic level, you see that you see you see that um, knowledge and communication and and things act different. Particles act differently based on who's watching them. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's a, some people call it the hum of the universe. And even from our biblical teaching, we learned that uh, God is in everything in, is in all things mm -hmm. and in all people. And so I tend to see God in that way. I see it as the hum of the universe or the energy of the universe and, and in everything uh, working in all things, uh, that's that's comforting to me because that means when we talk about connection, that I'm always connected. Um, and things like organized religion, uh, the Bible, um, traditions, all those things, you know, Brueggemann and Pedans and people like that talk about like the Bible as soil for where we're going. Yeah. And all those things that we used to do all those things that we used to, you know, all those, the traditions we have can become soil or in my case, compost for the future. They provide the nutrients for the future. And what we're growing into is something different. We're growing into something new, uh, something different. We don't have to keep trying to recreate the past. And so our, my idea of God now is still evolving. And, you know, mm -hmm. I would, I would, I still say God, Laura says the divine, she can tell her own story, but, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, like Keith Giles says now, and he's quoting someone else, but anytime you can def define God, you got it wrong. One of those sisters that I was talking about earlier said, uh, she went up to the chalkboard one time or the marker board and wrote none of us is right. 
And then she just kind of stepped back and looked at us for a few minutes and kind of went on with her speech. But um, I think when we realize that however we try to define God or spirit or or source or however people have tried to define it for thousands and thousands of years, uh, we just need to realize, first of all, that we really don't know. <laughs> and we're guessing. <laughs> and so the best I can do is is have deep spiritual experiences, deep things. And um, as I'm evolving, as I'm changing, as I'm healing, like Laura mentioned, then I try to express that the best I can. The the trouble, Seth, the trouble I have with everything is once we say, okay, I got it figured out. Like, you know, this is what it is. And we draw a line around it. Then we stop growing. We stop learning. We stop discovering. Uh, we may be able to create a successful club or tribe, but we stop growing. We stop evolving. We stop becoming better. We stop healing. So, um, that's the best I can do right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works. That works. Laura, for you, same question. Yeah, for me. So <clears throat> Carl had mentioned that, you know, God is the word God just doesn't land well with me. And, and the reason for that, and I've like through my, my healing journey, um, I, I realized that I, God is synonymous at this point in my life with my earthly father and my earthly father, um, you know, I'll spare everybody the long story, but, um, basically just throughout my life and the lives of my sisters has just not been there, not been present. Um, he hasn't spoken to us in, gosh, let's see uh, about 28 years. Um, not for lack of our trying, but for whatever reason, his own trauma, whatever, you know, I won't speak for him. You know, there just, there hasn't been this relationship. And so, you know, we always say father, you know, father, God. And, and so somewhere along the line, I kind of, you know, melded these two things together, earthly father, heavenly father. And, and I'm just like, if this is what a father is, you know, that, that's really of no use to me. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, for me, it's just about like experiencing the just life in, in a, in a spiritual way. And like Carl said, just kind of always being open to whatever, you know, the, the divine, whatever the universe, um, has to, to speak to me. And that sounds very woo woo, but I, but I go back to, like when our granddaughter, our first granddaughter was born, I held her for the first time. And I would say in that moment, that's when I first truly experienced the love of the divine. Mm. Um, and so from there, like, instead of thinking that the only way I can experience God or the divine is in a building, if I have a certain book open um, if I'm around certain people is to realize that that is always around me. And like, like you said, what I choose to call it, I don't know that that really matters as much as just that, that experience of knowing like love and compassion for other people. Um, those are the things that 
are, you know, are most important to me. And, and if that's God for somebody great for me, it's not just because of that, you know, that connection I have there, Mm -hmm. but, um, it definitely is, um, something spiritual. And, and so I choose to call it divine. Um, I feel like Carl, it's going to always be evolving. It's it. I, I don't feel like there's going to be a stopping point to that. And, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I am as well. Um, I like, I like, I like what you, I really like what what you both have said. Um, I want to leave the listener with something further. So if you want, so you said something about quantum physics. Um, I think you said that Carl, or maybe you didn't Mm -hmm. use quantum, maybe use qualitative either way. They're different words. Um, that is something that, so when I think about God, um, whatever word you want to use there, um, I find it amazing that whatever God is, it exists like faster than the speed of light and the universe is expanding also faster than the speed of light. And that doesn't make any sense, but somehow it's existing faster or bigger, or uh, there's not a good word for the word that it needs to be. Um, but that there's a, a principle. If people wanted to stop right now, hit pause, do your Googles and just type in the double hyphen slit experiment, um, that the Wiseman with a Z W E I Z M A N N Institute did. Um, we're basically like our observing things happening affects what happens. Um, mm-hmm. which really sits well with my brain. But when I think about if we bear an image of God and God creates, and so we create, when we see things, we see things being created. Yeah. And then we can say if it's good or bad based yeah. on the actions of that, which also just evokes Genesis to me. Anyway, I'm way off topic, but for some reason, when you said that, Carl, I could not stop. Like there's yeah. a Heisenberg, Heisenberg, Heisenberg uncertainty or uncertainty principle no schrodinger's uncertainty principle there's all kinds of things anyway not why you're here i'm off on a tangent but i can't help myself so um so this would be the part where you get to plug the pluggables wherever you want to plug the things that you want people to go do after they're done listening they set the phone down or their sono speaker down or their alexa down or however they happen to be listening to this please there used to be an alexa over there and when i would say that word it would she's not she's not in the episode this week she's the kids have moved her somewhere else so um yeah. So where would you want people to go as we end our time together? Yeah, we used to say go to the website, but I destroyed the website. So, I'm so don't go to the website. Process of rebuilding it. <laughs> um, everything we do is called The Desert Sanctuary. So you can you can go to that specific site or on any of your podcast players. You get The Desert Sanctuary. We're on Patheos dot com for the blog called the desert sanctuary and we have a facebook group um we have a twitter i don't know if that really matters in the future or not um but you know carl's with the k four hands like in tennis and laura's just like it sounds yep yeah the book is called uh, um out into the desert thriving outside of organized religion and it's been uh it was released in August, yeah, mm. August. It did pretty well, and it was on, you know, new releases bestseller. And then um, at some point in October, we marked down to ninety nine cents. That helped it even more, and it stayed up on the actual bestseller in our category for a, a month or two. And it's been, it's still in the top fifties. So it's it's doing well. People are 
are relating to it. They're mm -hmm. saying that resonates with me, that it helps put some language to my journey. We we tried as much as we've, you know, maybe, I don't know, been negative about religion today. Um, we tried to say in the book, you know, if that's working for mm -hmm. you, you need to stay in it. You know, we're yeah. not trying to convince anybody, um, but also we want you to be uh, honest with yourself, you know, and do an honest evaluation. Maybe take take some time off to, and step back like the fish standing next to the ocean, get some perspective, get out of the water you're swimming in for a little while and do that evaluation for real. Mm -hmm. So we invite people to the book. We're working on a, like Laura said, another project that kind of follows up on this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that might be available next year. Just kind of keep, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. Right? Sure. I was going to make you answer that question, but you don't have to then. So you're not going to, you, you teased at the beginning, you teased in the, the, the first third, the second third, and now at the end, you're not going to say what this project is. That's, that's it's not going to happen. Well, you ask about, you ask about, you know, how do we define God and things like that? It is, it's Laura, Laura and I are writing it together and, and it's, it's harder this time. Well, it's harder for me. I don't know if it's harder for you, yeah. but it's definitely harder for me. But it may be because of the sub. So the, the title is called Of God. Mm. That's about all I can tell you right now because it's not done. <laughs> sounds, that <laughs> sounds fair. Who knows to me. what's going to happen? So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds fair to me. Well, good. Um, I appreciate you both being on this morning. Um, I think it's still morning. It is still morning for everybody. So, um, and yeah, yeah, definitely. So thank you again. Absolutely. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show, that is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you... I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon. <laughs>